October 14 to 20 of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, October 14. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians 3.8 Spiritual knowledge of Christ will be a personal knowledge. I cannot know Jesus through another person's acquaintance with him. No, I must know him myself. I must know him on my own account. It will be an intelligent knowledge. I must know him, not as the visionary dreams of him, but as the word reveals him. I must know his natures, divine and human. I must know his offices, his attributes, his works, his shame, his glory. I must meditate upon him until I comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. It will be an affectionate knowledge of him. Indeed, if I know him at all, I must love him. An ounce of heart knowledge is worth a ton of head-learning." Our knowledge of Him will be a satisfying knowledge. When I know my Saviour, my mind will be full to the brim. I shall feel that I have that which my spirit panted after. This is that bread whereof if a man eat, he shall never hunger. At the same time, it will be an exciting knowledge. The more I know of my Beloved, the more I shall want to know. The higher I climb, the loftier will be the summits which invite my eager footsteps. I shall want the more as I get the more. Like the miser's treasure, my gold will make me covet more. To conclude, this knowledge of Christ Jesus will be a most happy one, in fact so elevating, that sometimes it will completely bear me up above all trials and doubts and sorrows, and it will, while I enjoy it, make me something more than man that is born of woman who is of few days and full of trouble, for it will fling about me the immortality of the ever-living Saviour, and gird me with the golden girdle of his eternal joy. Come, my soul, sit at Jesus' feet and learn of him all this day. Evening, October 14. And be not conformed to this world. Romans 12.2 if a Christian can by possibility be saved while he conforms to this world, at any rate it must be so as by fire. Such a bare salvation is almost as much to be dreaded as desired. Reader, would you wish to leave this world in the darkness of a desponding deathbed, and enter heaven as a shipwrecked mariner climbs the rocks of his native country? Then be worldly." be mixed up with mammonites, and refuse to go without the camp bearing Christ's reproach. But would you have a heaven below as well as a heaven above? Would you comprehend with all saints what are the heights and depths, and know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge? Would you receive an abundant entrance into the joy of your Lord? Then come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing. Would you attain the full assurance of faith? you cannot gain it while you commune with sinners. Would you flame with vehement love? Your love will be dampened by the drenchings of godless society. You cannot become a great Christian, 
you may be a babe in grace, but you never can be a perfect man in Christ Jesus while you yield yourself to the worldly maxims and modes of business of men of the world. It is ill for an heir of heaven to be a great friend with the heirs of hell. It has a bad look when a courtier is too intimate with his king's enemies. Even small inconsistencies are dangerous. Little thorns make great blisters, little moths destroy fine garments, and little frivolities and little rogueries will rob religion of a thousand joys. O professor, too little separated from sinners, you know not what you lose by your conformity to the world. It cuts the tendons of your strength, and makes you creep where you ought to run. Then, for your own comfort's sake, and for the sake of your growth in grace, if you be a Christian, be a Christian, and be a marked and distinct one. Morning, October 15. But who may abide the day of his coming? Malachi 3.2. His first coming was without external pomp or show of power, and yet in truth there were few who could abide its testing might. Herod and all Jerusalem with him were stirred at the news of the wondrous birth. Those who supposed themselves to be waiting for him showed the fallacy of their professions by rejecting him when he came. His life on earth was a winnowing fan, which tried the great heap of religious profession, and few enough could abide the process. But what will his second advent be? What sinner can endure to think of it? He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. When in his humiliation he did but say to the soldiers, I am he, they fell backward, what will the terror of his enemies when he shall more fully reveal himself as the I am? His death shook earth and darkened heaven. What shall be the dreadful splendor of that day in which, as the living Saviour, he shall summon the quick and the dead before him? Oh, that the terrors of the Lord would persuade men to forsake their sins and kiss the sun lest he be angry! Though a lamb, he is yet a lion of the tribe of Judah, rending the prey in pieces. And though he breaks not the bruised reed, yet will he break his enemies with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. None of his foes shall bear up before the tempest of his wrath, or hide themselves from the sweeping hail of his indignation. But his beloved blood-washed people look for his appearing with joy, and hope to abide it without fear. To them he sits as a refiner even now, and when he has tried them they shall come forth as gold. Let us search ourselves this morning, and make our calling and election sure, so that the coming of the Lord may cause no dark forebodings in our mind. Oh, for grace to cast away all hypocrisy, and to be found of him sincere and without rebuke in the day of his appearing. Evening, October 15. But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. Exodus 34.20 Every firstborn creature must be the Lord's, but since the ass was unclean, it could not be presented in sacrifice. What then? Should it be allowed to go free from the universal law? By no means. God admits of no exceptions. The ass is his due, but he will not accept it. He will not abate the claim, but yet he cannot be pleased with the victim. 
no way of escape remained but redemption the creature must be saved by the substitution of a lamb in its place or if not redeemed it must die my soul here is a lesson for thee that unclean animal is thyself thou art justly the property of the lord who made thee and preserves thee but thou art so sinful that god will not cannot accept thee and it has come to this the lamb of god must stand in thy stead or thou must die eternally let all the world know of thy gratitude to that spotless lamb who has already bled for thee and so redeemed thee from the fatal curse of the law must it not sometimes have been a question with the israelites which should die the ass or the lamb would not the good man pause to estimate and compare surely there was no comparison between the value of the soul of man and the life of the lord jesus and yet the lamb dies and man the ass is spared my soul admire the boundless love of god to thee and others of the human race worms are bought with the blood of the son of the highest dust and ashes redeemed with a price far above silver and gold what a doom had been mine had not plenteous redemption been found. The breaking of the neck of the ass was but a momentary penalty, but who shall measure the wrath to come to which no limit can be imagined? Inestimably dear is the glorious Lamb who has redeemed us from such a doom. Morning, October 16. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. John twenty one twelve. In these words the believer is invited to a holy nearness to Jesus. Come and dine implies the same table, the same meat. Ay, and sometimes it means to sit side by side and lean our head upon the Saviour's bosom. It is being brought into the banqueting-house where waves the banner of redeeming love. Come and dine gives us a vision of union with Jesus because the only food that we can feast upon when we dine with Jesus is himself. Oh, what union is this! It is a depth which reason cannot fathom, that we thus feed upon Jesus. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. It is also an invitation to enjoy fellowship with the saints. Christians may differ on a variety of points, but they have all one spiritual appetite and if we cannot all feel alike, we can all feed alike on the bread of life sent down from heaven. At the table of fellowship with Jesus we are one bread and one cup. As the living cup goes round, we pledge one another heartily therein. Get nearer to Jesus, and you will find yourself linked more and more in spirit to all who are like yourself, supported by the same heavenly manna. If we were more near to Jesus, we should be more near to one another. We likewise see in these words the source of strength for every Christian. To look at Christ is to live, but for strength to serve Him you must come and dine. We labor under such unnecessary weakness on account of neglecting this precept of the Master. We none of us need to put ourselves on low diet. On the contrary, we should fatten on the marrow and fatness of the gospel that we may accumulate strength therein, and urge every power to its full tension in the Master's service. Thus, then, if you would realize nearness to Jesus, union with Jesus, love to his people, and strength from Jesus, come and dine with him by faith. Evening, October 16. With thee is the fountain of life. 
Psalm 36.9. There are times in our spiritual existence when human counsel or sympathy or religious ordinances fail to comfort or help us. Why does our gracious God permit this? Perhaps it is because we have been living too much without Him, and He therefore takes away everything upon which we have been in the habit of depending, that He may drive us to Himself. It is a blessed thing to live at the fountainhead. While our skin bottles are full, we are content, like Hagar and Ishmael, to go into the wilderness. But when those are dry, nothing will serve us but, Thou God seest me. We are like the prodigal, we love the swine troughs and forget our father's house. Remember, we can make swine troughs and husks even out of the forms of religion. They are blessed things, but we may put them in God's place, and then they are of no value. Anything becomes an idol when it keeps us away from God. Even the brazen serpent is to be despised as Nehushtan, if we worship it instead of God. The prodigal was never safer than when he was driven to his father's bosom, because he could find sustenance nowhere else. Our Lord favors us with a famine in the land, that it may make us seek after himself the more. The best position for a Christian is living wholly and directly on God's grace, still abiding where he stood at first, having nothing and yet possessing all things. Let us never for a moment think that our standing is in our sanctification, our mortification, our graces, or our feelings, but know that Jesus Christ offered a full atonement, therefore we are saved, for we are complete in Him. Having nothing of our own to trust to, but resting upon the merits of Jesus, His passion and holy life furnish us with the only sure ground of confidence. Beloved, when we are brought to a thirsting condition, we are sure to turn to the fountain of life with eagerness. Morning, October 17. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. 1 Samuel 27, 1. The thought of David's heart at this time was a false thought, because he certainly had no ground for thinking that God's anointing him by Samuel was intended to be left as an empty, unmeaning act. On no one occasion had the Lord deserted his servant. He had been placed in perilous positions very often, but not one instance had occurred in which divine interposition had not delivered him. The trials to which he had been exposed had been varied. They had not assumed one form only, but many. Yet in every case he who sent the trial had also graciously ordained a way of escape. David could not put his finger upon any entry in his diary, and say of it, Here is evidence that the Lord will forsake me, for the entire tenor of his past life proved the very reverse. He should have argued from what God had done for him, that God would be his defender still. But is it not just in the same way that we doubt God's help? Is it not mistrust without a cause? Have we ever had the shadow of a reason to doubt our Father's goodness? Have not His loving-kindnesses been marvelous? Has He once failed to justify our trust? Oh, no, our God has not left us at any time. We have had dark nights, but the star of love has shone forth amid the blackness. We have been in stern conflicts, but over our head He has held aloft the shield of our defense. We have gone through many trials, but never to our detriment, always to our advantage. 
and the conclusion from our past experience is, that he who has been with us in six troubles will not forsake us in the seventh. What we have known of our faithful God proves that he will keep us to the end. Let us not, then, reason contrary to evidence. How can we ever be so ungenerous as to doubt our God? Lord, throw down the Jezebel of our unbelief, and let the dogs devour it. Evening, October 17. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. Isaiah forty eleven. Our good shepherd has in his flock a variety of experiences. Some are strong in the Lord, and others are weak in faith, but he is impartial in his care for all his sheep, and the weakest lamb is as dear to him as the most advanced of the flock. Lambs are wont to lag behind, prone to wander, and apt to grow weary, but from all the danger of these infirmities the shepherd protects them with his arm of power. He finds newborn souls, like young lambs, ready to perish. He nourishes them till life becomes vigorous. He finds weak minds ready to faint and die. He consoles them and renews their strength. All the little ones he gathers, for it is not the will of our Heavenly Father that one of them should perish. What a quick eye he must have to see them all! What a tender heart to care for them all! What a far-reaching and potent arm to gather them all! In his lifetime on earth he was a great gatherer of the weaker sort, and now that he dwells in heaven, his loving heart yearns towards the meek and contrite, the timid and feeble, the fearful and fainting here below. How gently did he gather me to himself, to his truth, to his blood, to his love, to his church! With what effectual grace did he compel me to come to himself! Since my first conversion, how frequently he has restored me from my wanderings, and once again folded me within the circle of his everlasting arm. The best of all is, that he does it all himself personally, not delegating the task of love, but condescending himself to rescue and preserve his most unworthy servant. How shall I love him enough, or serve him worthily? I would fain make his name great unto the ends of the earth, but what can my feebleness do for him? Great Shepherd, add to thy mercies this one other, a heart to love thee more truly as I ought. Morning, October 18. Thy paths drop fatness. Psalm 65, 11. Many are the paths of the Lord which drop fatness, but an especial one is the path of prayer. No believer who is much in the closet will have need to cry, My leanness, my leanness, woe unto me! Starving souls live at a distance from the mercy seat, and become like the parched fields in times of drought. Prevalence with God in wrestling prayer is sure to make the believer strong, if not happy. The nearest place to the gate of heaven is the throne of the heavenly grace. Much alone, and you will have much assurance. Little alone with Jesus, your religion will be shallow, polluted with many doubts and fears, and not sparkling with the joy of the Lord. Since the soul-enriching path of prayer is open to the very weakest saint, since no high attainments are required, since you are not bidden to come because you are an advanced saint, but freely invited if you be a saint at all, see to it, dear reader, that you are often in the way of private devotion. Be much on your knees, 
for so Elijah drew the rain upon famished Israel's fields. There is another especial path dropping with fatness to those who walk therein. It is the secret walk of communion. Oh, the delights of fellowship with Jesus! Earth hath no words which can set forth the holy calm of a soul leaning on Jesus' bosom. Few Christians understand it, they live in the lowlands and seldom climb to the top of Nebo. They live in the outer court, they enter not the holy place, they take not up the privilege of priesthood. At a distance they see the sacrifice, but they sit not down with the priest to eat thereof, and to enjoy the fat of the burnt offering. But, reader, sit thou ever under the shadow of Jesus, come up to that palm-tree, and take hold of the branches thereof. Let thy beloved be unto thee as the apple-tree among the trees of the wood, and thou shalt be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. O Jesus, visit us with thy salvation. Evening, October 18. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15.22 Saul had been commanded to slay utterly all the Amalekites and their cattle. Instead of doing so, he preserved the king, and suffered his people to take the best of the oxen and of the sheep. When called to account for this, he declared that he did it with a view of offering sacrifice to God. But Samuel met him at once with the assurance that sacrifices were no excuse for an act of direct rebellion. The sentence before us is worthy to be printed in letters of gold, and to be hung up before the eyes of the present idolatrous generation, who are very fond of the fineries of will-worship, but utterly neglect the laws of God. Be it ever in your remembrance that to keep strictly in the path of your Saviour's command is better than any outward form of religion, and to hearken to his precept with an attentive ear is better than to bring the fat of rams or any other precious thing to lay upon his altar. If you are failing to keep the least of Christ's commands to his disciples, I pray you be disobedient no longer. All the pretensions you make of attachment to your master, and all the devout actions which you may perform, are no recompense for disobedience. To obey, even in the slightest and smallest thing, is better than sacrifice, however pompous. Talk not of Gregorian chants, sumptuous robes, incense, and banners. The first thing which God requires of his child is obedience and though you should give your body to be burned, and all your goods to feed the poor, yet if you do not hearken to the Lord's precepts, all your formalities shall profit you nothing. It is a blessed thing to be teachable as a little child, but it is a much more blessed thing when one has been taught the lesson to carry it out to the letter. How many adorn their temples and decorate their priests, but refuse to obey the word of the Lord? My soul, come not thou into their secret. Morning, October 19. Babes in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 1. Are you mourning, believer, because you are so weak in the divine life, because your faith is so little, your love so feeble? Cheer up, for you have cause for gratitude. Remember that in some things you are equal to the greatest and most full grown Christian. You are as much bought with blood as he is. You are as much an adopted child of God as any other believer. An infant is as truly a child of its parents as is the full-grown man. 
you are as completely justified, for your justification is not a thing of degrees. Your little faith has made you clean every whit. You have as much right to the precious things of the covenant as the most advanced believers, for your right to covenant mercies lies not in your growth, but in the covenant itself. And your faith in Jesus is not the measure, but the token of your inheritance in him. You are as rich as the richest, if not in enjoyment, yet in real possession. The smallest star that gleams is set in heaven. The faintest ray of light has affinity with the great orb of day. In the family register of glory, the small and the great are written with the same pen. You are as dear to your father's heart as the greatest in the family. Jesus is very tender over you. You are like the smoking flax, a rougher spirit would say, put out that smoking flax, it fills the room with an offensive odor. But the smoking flax he will not quench. You are like a bruised reed, and any less tender hand than that of the chief musician would tread upon you or throw you away, but he will never break the bruised reed. Instead of being downcast by reason of what you are, you should triumph in Christ. Am I but little in Israel? Yet in Christ I am made to sit in heavenly places. Am I poor in faith? Still in Jesus I am heir of all things." though less than nothing I can boast and vanity confess. Yet if the root of the matter be in me, I will rejoice in the Lord, and glory in the God of my salvation. Evening, October 19. God my Maker, who giveth songs in the night. Job 35.10. Any man can sing in the day. When the cup is full, man draws inspiration from it. When wealth rolls in abundance around him, any man can praise the God who gives a plenteous harvest or sends home a loaded argosy. It is easy enough for an aeolian harp to whisper music when the winds blow. The difficulty is for music to swell forth when no wind is stirring. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but he is skillful who sings when there is not a ray of light to read by, who sings from his heart. No man can make a song in the night of himself. He may attempt it, but he will find that a song in the night must be divinely inspired. Let all things go well, I can weave songs, fashioning them wherever I go out of the flowers that grow upon my path. But put me in a desert, where no green thing grows, and wherewith shall I frame a hymn of praise to God? How shall a mortal man make a crown for the Lord where no jewels are? Let but this voice be clear, and this body full of health, and I can sing God's praise. Silence my tongue, lay me upon the bed of languishing, and how shall I then chant God's high praises, unless he himself give me the song? No, it is not in man's power to sing when all is adverse, unless an altar-coal shall touch his lip. It was a divine song which Habakkuk sang, when in the night he said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Then, since our Maker gives songs in the night, let us wait upon Him for the music. O thou chief musician, let us not remain songless because affliction is upon us, 
but tune thou our lips to the melody of thanksgiving. Morning, October 20. Grow up into him in all things. Ephesians 4.15. Many Christians remain stunted and dwarfed in spiritual things so as to present the same appearance year after year. No upspringing of advanced and refined feeling is manifest in them. They exist, but do not grow up into him in all things. But should we rest content with being in the green blade, when we might advance to the ear, and eventually ripen into the full corn in the ear? Should we be satisfied to believe in Christ, and to say, I am safe, without wishing to know in our own experience more of the fullness which is to be found in him? It should not be so. We should, as good traders in heaven's market, covet to be enriched in the knowledge of Jesus. It is all very well to keep other men's vineyards, but we must not neglect our own spiritual growth and ripening. Why should it always be winter time in our hearts? We must have our seed time, it is true, but oh, for a spring time, yea, a summer season, which shall give promise of an early harvest. If we would ripen in grace, we must live near to Jesus, in his presence, ripened by the sunshine of his smiles. We must hold sweet communion with him. We must leave the distant view of his face, and come near, as John did, and pillow our head on his breast. Then shall we find ourselves advancing in holiness, in love, in faith, in hope, yea, in every precious gift. As the sun rises first on mountain tops and gilds them with his light, and presents one of the most charming sights to the eye of the traveller, so is it one of the most delightful contemplations in the world to mark the glow of the Spirit's light on the head of some saint who has risen up in spiritual stature, like Saul, above his fellows, till, like a mighty alp, snow-capped, he reflects first among the chosen the beams of the sun of righteousness, and bears the sheen of his effulgence high aloft for all to see, and seeing it, to glorify his Father which is in heaven. Evening, October 20. Keep not back. Isaiah 43, 6. Although this message was sent to the south, and referred to the seed of Israel, it may profitably be a summons to ourselves. Backward we are naturally to all good things, and it is a lesson of grace to learn to go forward in the ways of God. Reader, are you unconverted, but do you desire to trust in the Lord Jesus? Then keep not back. Love invites you, the promises secure you success, the precious blood prepares the way. Let not sins or fears hinder you, but come to Jesus just as you are. Do you long to pray? Would you pour out your heart before the Lord? Keep not back. The mercy seat is prepared for such as need mercy. A sinner's cries will prevail with God. You are invited, nay, you are commanded to pray. Come, therefore, with boldness to the throne of grace. Dear friend, are you already saved? Then keep not back from union with the Lord's people. Neglect not the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's supper. You may be of a timid disposition, but you must strive against it, lest it lead you into disobedience. There is a sweet promise made to those who confess Christ. By no means miss it, lest you come under the condemnation of those who deny him. If you have talents, keep not back from using them. Hoard not your wealth, waste not your time. 
let not your abilities rust or your influence be unused jesus kept not back imitate him by being foremost in self-denials and self-sacrifices keep not back from close communion with god from boldly appropriating covenant blessings from advancing in the divine life from prying into the precious mysteries of the love of christ neither beloved friend be guilty of keeping others back by your coldness harshness or suspicions for jesus sake go forward yourself and encourage others to do the like hell and the leaguered bands of superstition and infidelity are forward to the fight o soldiers of the cross keep not back end of october fourteen through twenty